Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Pride going before destruction. Hello, Truth Transistors. Welcome to episode nine in my podcast. And we will be discussing, uh, this is part two of the William Cooper Mystery Babylon commentary. And uh, so we can look forward to that. I'd like to start off by, I guess, giving a prayer request. And I know that there's a lot of situations like this and so i'm sure somebody else can relate to this so basically there is a lady that i met about a year ago and it she told me that she was abused growing up and then as a teenager got crohn's and through her whole adult life she's been in pain physical pain Um, She's grown up in the church, and she claims to be a Christian. Um, She, her mom, she had to live at home because she was on disability. It was difficult for her to have a full-time job, etc. And living off of disability, she couldn't really support herself, so she had to live with her mom, who was abusive. Um... And I have visited um, her a couple of times. I've been to her church, a big Baptist church. And I've also been to her house. Her mom moved out maybe a year ago. And her house is like a shack out in the um, country that is, it's in horrible conditions. Um, just a lot of, her mother was a hoarder. And so there's just a lot of junk in the house. And it's just a very sad situation. So she is emotionally damaged because of abuse growing up and physically in a lot of pain. Spiritually, she claims to be a Christian, but here's where the prayer request comes in. She is now ready to give up. She doesn't... um, There's a part of her that doesn't trust people around probably because of the abuse that she's lived through and also that um, so oftentimes she will question the doctors she'll question people counseling um, and you know it's just one of those situations um, but now recently she is saying that she's ready to give up on church people helping her she's ready to give up on the doctors helping her and she doesn't mind if Crohn's takes her life and this was very concerning to me and I'm not giving any details here I mean uh, like who who this is or where so I just want to be careful about that but um, I'm sure that there's a lot of people in situations like this where they're in a lot of physical pain and emotional pain and 
maybe have a difficult time getting close to people for help and receiving that help. And, you know, I'm not really exactly sure what to do. Uh, I kind of reached out to, through a mutual friend um, that went to the church uh, that she goes to now. Um, and this mutual friend knows people at this church, and she's been in contact with, well, it's actually a relative uh that is the mutual friend, but <clears throat> she's been in contact with people she knew at that church in discussing uh, this lady that uh, is dealing with all this stuff. So it's it's a situation where a lot of people that have helped, done a lot of help, have burnt out in many ways. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like the love of Christ does not burn out. But at the same time, the love of Christ is looking, I mean, if, if people reject him, obviously, then, uh, and don't think they need his help or, you know, whatever, there's a tough situation where, where even though you're not giving up on a person, they give up on you or they don't trust you or whatever. So a lot of prayer is needed in this area. And I know that I've heard that during this pandemic and the lockdown and the shutdowns and everything, the suicide rates have gone up. And this could be for various reasons. Um, in some cases, there are there have been there had been children in abuse with abusive parents where the abuse has gone up because now they're at home all the time and their parents are at home all the time. And now that they now they're exposed to the abuse a lot and many of them had a refuge whether it be at churches or school where they were they could get away at least for a lot of time and then maybe the few hours that they were home could avoid their parents but now there's no you know um, some places are opening back up but if you're in a place that's stricter about staying home um there could be a lot of bad situations and so this is just one of the problems that is going on in the world right now you know and and then with the physical pain I've I can imagine that that only adds to the struggle because I have there's been times where I've been in physical pain for a few days where I really struggled um but not for 20 years, you know, where you feel like you can't sleep half the nights and you feel like you can't eat because like, you, if you eat something, it makes you, it gives you more pain or whatever, especially with Crohn's. So this can have another layer of psychological effects and, you know, it's really difficult. Um, and a lot of Christians will have limited understanding for these situations. Um, in some ways, it's difficult because I know that somebody like this can can exaggerate situations to get uh, sympathy. And so 
you know, I don't know. Uh, and then in, so they can use people and burn them out that way. Um, but the thing of it is, if, if somebody's been abused and they didn't grow up with love in their life, they need a lot of love. And so when they come across as very clingy or very needy, there's a reason for that. And, you know, but it's it also takes wisdom, like how to help people in these situations. So because sometimes truth hurts and sometimes somebody that needs the truth doesn't want to listen. And in some cases, there is issues like like I said, with the health that she thinks she knows better than the doctors on certain things um, and doesn't trust them and continues to eat junk food. Um, so it's, you know, it's 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 a difficult situation. So anyway, I know. I keep that in in prayers and also I know that there's a lot of situations in similar situations like that in the world right now. So I'm going to skip the uh, comedic bit once again and get right into it. If you recall last time we discussed uh, or William Cooper left off talking about sun worship and trying to interpret the Bible through uh the signs of the sun, at least not him, but the mystery schools. And so he's describing the belief of the mystery schools, not what he believes, not what I believe. So this can get very confusing. And oftentimes when people listen to it, they think, what is William Cooper talking about? This is just terrible. Well, he's telling you what the mystery schools believe. So as we continue, we're going to get more into the 12 signs of the zodiac and other things related to what the mystery schools teach. Oh, and real quickly, I also want to say that you can do a Google search for mystery schools and find, you know, I'll, I'll leave a couple of links for that, uh, whether it's Egyptian mystery schools or Roman mystery schools or even modern mystery schools, and there will be a summary of what they believe. And so this is not a conspiracy theory. Uh, this is uh, now those websites may not get as in depth, at least not without joining them that William Cooper does. But you'll see a lot of similarities just on the front page to join and what they're about. They'll describe, OK, we teach you these hidden uh, secrets of the ages and all this stuff. So uh, that's very interesting. And I'll leave links about that. So here we go. We'll continue um, and then I'll. I'll come in every once in a while to give my commentary. It is at this point that we should look at the significance of the recurring number 12 in the Bible. First, 13 is said to be unlucky for humans. It is a heavenly number and represents the sun plus the 12 equals 13. Our Christ plus the 12 disciples equals 13. It's unlucky for a different reason, folks. And I will explain that on another program, but it has to do with the persecution of the mystery school, the mystery religion. It would be well to get a Bible concordance and look to see how many times the number 12 is used in the entire Bible. Remember, the mystery religion is a religion of the heavens. 
Here are a few examples of the use of the number 12 in the Bible. The 12 months of the year, the 12 apostles of the Son, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 brothers of Joseph, the 12 judges of Israel, the 12 great patriarchs, the 12 Old Testament prophets, the 12 kings of Israel, the 12 princes of Israel, God's Son and Temple at 12, and there are many more. All these examples, and countless more, derived directly from the ancient world's fascination with the 12 signs of the Zodiac. Now remember, folks, what I'm giving you is the teachings of the Mystery School. This does not necessarily reflect any of my own beliefs or my own religious beliefs. We cannot fight against these manipulators unless we know who they are and what they believe. And what you want to believe is your own business. Each of the 12 monthly signs were called Houses of the Heavenly Zodiac. The astronomers of Babylon divided the sky into 12 houses. They did this to account for the fact that the planets were not always exactly in the ecliptic, but appeared to wander a certain number of degrees either side of it. They therefore had to assume that each sign of the zodiac extended its influence through a fixed portion of the sky, which they thought of as a house to which a planet could return when it completed one of its journeys about the sun. The great god of the day had its house in Leo, Leo the Lion of Judah, where he ruled at the head of his splendor. The moon ruled in Cancer at the right hand of the sun. The other planets were given two houses, one for day and one for night. And since the zodiac divided the sky into twelve equal portions, each of these houses was also equal, comprising thirty degrees, or one-twelfth of the three hundred and sixty-degree circle. And the houses and signs of the zodiac were as follows. Aries was the ram, or lamb of God. Taurus, the bull, the golden calf. Gemini, the twins, which represented Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, are Jesus and Satan, for in mystery Babylon, Jesus and Satan are brothers, and in some sects of the mystery religion, they are the same entity. Cancer, the crab, Leo, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that can be found in Revelations 5, verse 5. Virgo, the virgin, spring birth of God's son, are Mary, Mary, our Marie means pure, thus Mary, the virgin, the mother of God, when God is reborn or born in the spring. And that is where the mother holding the child, Isis with the child, Horus, and all through the history of the world, you will find a virgin holding a child in every culture, every language, in every continent of this earth. Okay, so just a few thoughts real quick. Um, you noticed during that last bit that he said... That remember, folks, this is not what I believe. This is, uh, uh, he is explaining what they believe. And so that's important. And that's why I respect him over, say, Jordan Maxwell or Zeitgeist, because they present it as truth. And uh, he mentioned something about, you know, their teaching of that there's a woman holding a child in every culture and every race. But he, uh, they said virgin. Of course, they make it sound like there there's virgin uh, Marys or virgin women in every pagan religion. And Jesus and Mary was just a copy of that, according to them. But there's no evidence that they were virgins, um, first of all, in the ancient, I mean, before Mary. Um, 
And I also will, will leave a link to a video called Zeitgeist Refuted because they get right into this and give, um, they refute this whole idea of much of this stuff that William Cooper is explaining in terms of what the mystery schools believe. Libra, the scales. Scorpio, the scorpion, the backbiting traitor, Judas. Sagittarius, the archer. Capricorn, the sea goat, or the goat of Mindy's. Aquarius, man with the water pitcher. Pisces, the two fish. The age that we are leaving at this point in time is the age of Pisces. And according to the mystery religion, we are entering into the age of Aquarius very soon in our future. And to them this has great meaning, for it means the dawn of the new age, the age of the illumined man. The number of the man is 666 in the mystery religion. Next we read at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, that God's Son is the chief shepherd. This word chief is very important, for at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, and again at Epithians chapter 2, verse 20, God's Son is called the chief shepherd cornerstone. Now, in our research into the mystery schools, we find that the word in Greek for chief cornerstone simply meant the peak of a pyramid. Well understood by the Christian writers was that of an important stone which was both acro, a peak, and a goniaios, a cornerstone. But there are four or more corners to a building, and a stone at a corner cannot be uniquely significant. Although you will find in Freemasonry, the ceremony of laying a cornerstone for every building that is built and you look at all the buildings in Washington DC you will see a cornerstone with the Masonic symbols and the Masonic date of the mystery schools of the calendar of 6,000 years. We found that we don't believe that it can be significant unless the stone be at the apex, apex of a pyramid where all corners meet and bond together and that is the secret of the truncated pyramid missing the capstone on the reverse of the great seal of the United States. For we have found in our research that in the mystery religion, the master mason is the cornerstone or the peak of the pyramid, the illumined man, who functions as the eye of Horus or the spy for the mystery schools wherever he is at. Now this whole part about the stone, which the, uh, the apex of the pyramid the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, is interesting to me. It brings to mind a passage in Psalms 118, verse 22. It says, The stone which the builders refused has become the head stone of the corner. And again, Jesus quoted this in Matthew 21, verse 42. He says, Did ye never read in the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same, has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. Is it marvelous in our eyes? Therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and give, given to a nation that bringeth forth the fruits thereof. And, uh, and this is, he's talking to uh, the authorities at this point. Um, uh, going in context back to verse tw uh, 21, verse 23 in Matthew. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority dost thou these things, etc. Anyway, uh, I think it's interesting that 
he is talking to the leaders, the uh, chief priests in Israel at the time. And he's saying that, that the kingdom will be taken from them. And I've, I've wondered if this verse, the uh, stone which the builders rejected, if it's talking about the apex of the pyramid, which is a symbol in uh, Freemasonry and other secret societies, of, you know, the, the eye and the top of their pyramid is Lucifer, or as William Cooper uh, quoted, uh, the illumined man, because man becomes God in their religion. Um, I would find that interesting if Jesus might have been referring to Freemasonry or to the secret societies. And if the chief priests in Israel at the time were part of these secret societies, um, it's just an interesting thing to consider. And I can't say that for sure. But if he's talking about a pyramid here, um, at the very least, I will say that if a pyramid represents the worldly system and the top represents God, or, you know, depending on what your worldview is, uh, that it, it's, it's not too far-fetched. Um, uh, you know, apparently the high priests didn't worship God with spirit and truth. They were not sincere believers. And they might have been infiltrators. They might have been, they were considered wolves in sheep's clothing by Jesus himself. So anyway, just some things to think about here. And I find quite fascinating. Just as the Great Pyramid near Mexico City is called the Pyramid of the Sun, so also the Great Pyramid of Egypt was actually dedicated to Horus, the sun. A picture of this you may see on the back of any $1 bill. Above the pyramid, folks, is the eye, the sun, the eye of Horus, the son of God. According to astrology, sometime after the year 2010, the sun will enter into his new sign, or his new kingdom. As it was called by the ancients, this next coming sign or kingdom soon to be upon us will be, according to the zodiac, the house or sign of Aquarius. Yes, according to the mystery schools, we are in the last days of the old age of Pisces. Soon, God's son will come again into his new kingdom, our new age, and that's where all this new age movement and new age comes from, new age of Aquarius, man with the water pitcher. Luke chapter 22, verse 10. That's right, folks, the new aeon, or the new age. This, according to the mystery schools, is the perversion of Christianity. This is the theme of the Bible, God's Son and His coming kingdom age, the new age of Aquarius. Now, what you choose to believe is your business. Remember, don't get mad at me. I am teaching you the mystery religion of ancient Babylon. And I am telling you right now, many people practice this mystery religion in secret, and they hate Christians. They hate Christians because they believe that Christianity is a perversion of their religion, and thus is their enemy. And this might explain why we will, uh, Christians will be given over to persecution in the last days, because we are considered the enemy of the mystery religions, the mystery schools. And I think I've, you know, I'm kind of going through these podcasts. Uh, I, I have in mind what I want to talk about, but sometimes as I'm going, I think of something else. So I think in the, in the second part of this episode, I will play some clips from the Zeitgeist Refuted, 
because I think it's very important to understand how these things that the mystery schools believe are false. The sun enters each heavenly sign or house of the zodiac in what is called the 30th degree and leaves at the 33rd degree. Thus God's son is said by the ancients to begin his ministry at 30 and dies at 33. Something to note here, just like December 25th is not mentioned in the Bible, the uh, Jesus dying at age 33 is also not mentioned in the Bible. This is a tradition perhaps put in by uh, those that were part of the mystery schools and tried to Christianize Rome. But just a thought. A Freemason is not told the truth of the object of his worship until he attains the 30th degree. And this is why the highest degree in Freemasonry is the 33rd degree, for no one can rise higher than the sun. When viewing the shimmering rays of sunlight on a body of water at dawn or sunset, one can still see today how God's sun walks on water. It was well understood by ancient man that our weather was caused and controlled by the sun. It was a simple fact that God's sun had the power to control storms at will. The ancient Egyptians taught that he did this as he rested in his heavenly boat while crossing the sky. Thus, we read that God's Son quieted the tempest, our great storm on the sea, while in his boat. Which boat? The boat of Isis. Ra, the sun god, also known as Osiris, in the bark of millions of years in which he traversed the heavens, he wears on his head and accompanies a vast sun disk symbolizing his powers as lord of the heavens the boat formed of a serpent bears his eye and the god is seated on a pedestal representing mayet the divine order from the egyptian records we learn that the newborn son horus was given the title the logos which means the word egyptians further said the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and since we enjoy only one son in heaven he was said to be the only begotten of the father the word was lost and that story is told in the osirian cycle of isis osiris and the child horus and you will learn that the symbol of the word today is the obelisk, the monolith, the stone. It is also called the lost word of Freemasonry. Another interesting point not to be missed concerning Horus. Later in Egyptian history, he was given a second name, Isos, or Isis, meaning holder of the light. In ancient Egypt, it was said that if you wanted to follow the life of God's Son and thereby live in the light of God's word, or Logos, one would first have to leave his old ways of life to follow the sun face to the east. But before beginning this new life in the word, one must die to the old way of life and be born again. George Bush, when asked at a press conference by a reporter if he was a Christian, Mr. Bush said this, quote, If you're asking if I have been born again, the answer is yes, unquote. Your first birth was out of the water your mother formed you in. Because her water broke and your new life began, rebirth is symbolized by coming out of total immersion in water, or baptism, or being born again. These points here mentioned are just some of hundreds, if not thousands, of direct connections that can be made between the Judaic Christian Bible story and the far more ancient original story.
The purpose for drawing your attention to this literary plagiarism, according to the Mystery School, this is what they believe, is best stated by Alfred North Whitehead, who said, quote, no lie can live forever, unquote. They hate Christians, they hate Christianity, and the first object is to destroy the Christian church and Christians, to wipe them off the face of the earth. If you are a Christian, you are in the greatest danger that you can even imagine at this moment as the new world order takes shape around you. Now, I just wanted to point out quickly, whereas in some cases, uh, certain beliefs of the mystery schools have become part of Christian tradition that aren't in the Bible at all, like December 25th and Jesus dying uh, at 33, uh, but in other cases, I believe that they've stolen things from the Bible to because uh, Satan likes to mimic God as well. And so it's kind of a mixture between two things. Number one, uh, cr creating traditions that are not in the Bible that are actually from the mystery religions or uh, adding things uh to their mystery religions over time that copy what the Bible says. And thus, they're able to kind of mix these things together to make it sound like the Bible is copying <laughs> the mystery religions. Does that make any sense? Well, I think I'm going to, uh, at a midpoint here, at, uh, we're getting close to 30 minutes. So I think I'm going to play some Zeitgeist Refuted stuff that refutes this very idea that the mystery schools believe. But first, I'm going to play a, a song, and I'm happy to say that a few independent groups that are very quirky and weird, that, you know, the kind of music I like, have given me permission to uh, play their songs on my uh, podcast. And the first one that I'm going to play today is... Uh, an artist named Thomas Mills. You can find his music on bandclamp.com or Spotify or on YouTube. And this is a song called Baby Bird.
So once again, that was Thomas Mills. If you enjoyed that music, if you like weird, art, artsy kind of indie music, then check it out uh, once again on Bandclamp, uh, YouTube, or Spotify. I'm not sure where else his music might be, but uh, I enjoy this, you know, creative stuff. So uh, the rest of this uh, podcast episode will be um, me playing a documentary, audio from a documentary, or at least a portion of it, called Zeitgeist Refuted, The Final Cut. And uh, a full documentary, um, I will leave you the link, but it's by a holybibleprophecy.org presentation in association with zeitgeistchallenge.com. I'm having a hard time reading this, but anyway, I'm not going to play, obviously, the, the entire uh, Zeitgeist Refuted, the religious portion is about two hours long, and obviously I have less than 30 minutes here, so I'm just going to play, uh, you know, the first 20-something minutes that I have time for, and then I'll finish off this episode. It is true that ancient civilizations always venerated the sun. The chief god in most pantheons is the sun god. However, Zeitgeist implies here that Jesus, the only begotten son of God, is an outgrowth of God's son, S-U-N. God's son, S-O-N, and son, S-U-N, are homophones. But this argument cannot be made in other languages, so the point is invalid. They bring up Horus. This is a far too simplistic representation of the myths surrounding Horus. In reality, there are many versions. There were originally several different gods known by the name Horus. It seems Zeitgeist is trying to make a parallel between Set or Seth and Satan. Besides both of these figures being evil and starting with the letter S in English, there is no parallel. The birth on December 25th can be immediately dismissed as irrelevant because nowhere in the Bible do we find any reference to the birth of Jesus being on December 25th. Nor do we find the birth of Horus on December 25th, but in the month of Koyak or July 15th. Obviously Jesus was not born in December or any time in the winter for that matter because we read in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 verses 7 and 8 that there were shepherds watching over their flocks at night. Jesus was most likely born in late spring or early autumn, as most scholars would agree. This date of December 25th was chosen about 300 years after the origins of Christianity in AD 354 by Roman Bishop Liberius of the Roman Catholic Church, based upon pagan thought and coinciding with the pagan sun god worship observance of the winter solstice and the Roman traditions of Saturnalia, rather than on biblical truth. This is why many Christians do not celebrate Christmas because it is irrelevant to the Bible and rooted in pagan practice. Regarding Isis being known as Isis Mary, there is no scholarly information to substantiate this claim. There is also no evidence that Isis was a virgin in the myth. Translated from the Hymn of Osiris, the myth distinctly says Isis drew from him his essence. 
Various Egyptian scholars state very clearly that Isis was not a virgin when she gave birth to Horus, as Mary was when she gave birth to Jesus. For example, Richard Wilkinson, author of Complete Gods and Goddesses of Ancient Egypt states, Through her magic, Isis became pregnant by him, eventually giving birth to their child, Horus. As for the Star in the East claim, there is no such myth in the story of Horus. There is no evidence in Egyptian astrotheology that they assigned the alignment of Sirius, the star in the east, to signify the birth of Horus. Neither is there any mention of any kings of any number. Even if Zeitgeist was right about this claim, it is irrelevant, because the Bible does not number the men that came to Jesus' birth, nor were they kings, they were magi, or wise men. Horus becoming a teacher at age 12 is nowhere to be found in the accounts of Horus. There is a form known as Horus the Child, but he wasn't a prodigal teacher. He was kept hidden away in the papyrus marshes by his mother until he was ready to be ruler of Egypt. In addition, no bibliographic material suggests Horus had a ministry, much less at the age of 30, nor was he baptized by Anup. The character Anup, which is also known as Anubis or Anpu, means royal child and is usually depicted as a jackal-headed or wild dog-headed man. Anubis was the lord of embalming, and through this is connected with incense and perfumery, but not baptism. Neither are there any statements to the effect that Horus had twelve disciples. Mention of Horus's followers are in the translation of the Liturgy of Funeral Offerings, the fourth ceremony. Actually, Horus had four followers, called Hiru Shemsu, there is another reference to a group of 16 followers of Horus known as Mesnui or blacksmiths. While 16 minus 4 is 12, this cannot be the intention of Zeitgeist. The total number of followers here is 20, not 12. In regard to performing miracles, there was some magic associated with Horus. But this is with Horus the child, not with Horus the elder or his adult forms. Horus on the crocodiles was a common manifestation of the importance of Horus in healing ritual. The power of this healing seems to come from his mother Isis, who is indeed the goddess of immense magical power. It is not unusual though to find reference to miracles in reading any ancient or modern day literature. Nevertheless, we do not find one miracle that Jesus did in the Horus story. Horus did not walk on water, as the narrator claimed, but was thrown into the water. There is also no evidence for these names of Horus in the mythical accounts. He was known as other titles, however. Horus the child was known by magical titles such as Horus on the crocodiles. Horus as son of Isis and Osiris was known as pillar of his mother, savior of his father, and Horus as a sun god was also known as lord of the sky, god of the east, Horus of the horizon, and later associated with Ra. In the fourth dynasty, the king, the living god, may have been one of the greatest gods as well. But by the fifth dynasty, the supremacy of the cult of Ra, the sun god, was accepted even by the kings. The Horus king was now also son of Ra, not the son of God. None of the titles for Horus listed in Zeitgeist are recognized by any Egyptologist. Horus was not crucified, buried for three days, or resurrected for that matter. In some versions, Horus had one or both of his eyes injured, but he was not killed, and it was his father Osiris who was killed, dismembered, reconstituted, and revived by Isis, his magical mother. Furthermore, death by crucifixion was not invented until long after the origins of the myths of Horus. 
From the earliest times, the god was depicted as a bird or falcon whose eyes are the sun and the moon and whose breath is the cooling north wind manifested in different birds and species. Does this look like Jesus? Again, there is no primary Egyptian records prior to the New Testament to support the resemblances of Jesus and Horus. Next is Attis. Concerning the virgin birth claim, the Olympian gods, or Zeus, cut off the male organ and cast it away. There grew up from it an almond tree, and when its fruit was ripe, Nana picked an almond and laid it in her bosom. The almond disappeared and she became pregnant. Nana abandoned the baby Attis. This is hardly a parallel to the biblical claim, but a desperate exaggeration. Again, December 25th is irrelevant. After Attis was tended by a he-goat, Attis fell in love and was not crucified, but castrated himself under a pine tree, which in no sense can be seen as death by crucifixion on a tree or a cross. Then Sibeli restored Attis to life. Many critics refer to this as the resurrection of Attis, though there is no mention of a tomb or a three-day period. Additionally, apologetics author Charlie Campbell states, The alleged resurrection of Attis isn't even mentioned until after 150 AD long after the time of Jesus. Furthermore, Dr. Walter Burkert, a Greek religion scholar and author, stated, There is no evidence for a resurrected Attis, even Osiris remains with the dead. As the Princeton theologian J. Gresham Machen points out, the myth contains no account of a resurrection. All that Sibeli, the great mother goddess, is able to obtain is that the body of Attis should be preserved, that his hair should continue to grow, and that his little finger should move. Dr. Ronald Nash adds, It was only during the later Roman celebration, after AD 300, of the Spring Festival that anything remotely connected with a resurrection appears. Concerning Krishna, in Joseph Campbell's book Occidental Mythology, page 342, he stated, Krishna, whose terrible uncle, Kansa, was the tyrant king, the savior's mother, Devaki, was of royal lineage, the tyrant's niece, and at the time when she was married, the wicked monarch heard a voice mysteriously, which let him know that her eighth child would be his slayer. He therefore confined both her and her husband in a closely guarded prison where he murdered their first six infants as they came. According to this story, the mother Devaki had seven children before Krishna was born. This would not make Devaki a virgin. Distinguished professor of Hinduism in India, Vasudha Narayana, PhD, University of Bombay said, I've never heard of Krishna being born of a virgin, either through Sanskrit or vernacular texts, or even folklore. And born on December 25th, wow. The text says explicitly he was born on the eighth day of the waning moon in the month that now comes between approximately August 15th and September 14th. I can't imagine why people would sit back and cook up all these conspiracies. The only mention of stars in Krishna's birth within Hindu literature is in the Bhagavata Purana chapter 10, 3, 1 through 5. Then there was the supreme hour, all auspicious and most suitable with the constellation of Rahini rising, and all the stars and planets in a favorable position. Everywhere was peace. The multitude of stars twinkled in the sky and cities, towns, pasturing grounds, and mines were at their best. The minds of the saintly oppressed, as they had been by the Asura, Kamsa and his men, turned perfectly contended when in that situation the kettle drums together resounded with the unborn one to be born. 
twinkling stars in the sky are far from the biblical account of a star in the east signaling Jesus' birth. In the film Zeitgeist, author Edward Carpenter is cited for providing this information on Krishna's supposed miracles and resurrection. Carpenter in his book, Pagan and Christian Creeds, stated, To go into the parallelism of the careers of Krishna, the Indian sun god, and Jesus would take too long because indeed the correspondence is so extraordinarily elaborate. He then cites Robertson's Christianity and Mythology as a reference. Then Robertson transcribes the outline of the well-known Krishna saga as follows. The son of Devaki, the two brothers grew up in the midst of the shepherds slaying monsters. Arrived at adolescence, the two brothers put to death Kamsa, and Krishna became king. He continued to clear the land of monsters. After having been present at the death of his brother, he himself perished wounded in the heel by the arrow of a hunter. Thus we read in the well-known Krishna saga that there is no virgin birth, no star, and no miracles. The comparisons are not so extraordinarily elaborate after all. Robertson also stated, The case in favor of the assumption of Christian priority has been in a general way strengthened by the precise investigation of Hindu literature, which has gone to show that much of it, as it stands, is of far later redaction than had once been supposed. Thus, Zeitgeist cites Carpenter, and Carpenter cites Robertson, who admits that Hindu literature is of much later publication than previously assumed, and therefore, any similarities between Christianity and Hinduism were borrowed by the Hindus, and not vice versa. In the long Indian epic poem, the Mahabharata, Book 16, there is an account of the death of Krishna. It reads, Having restrained all his senses, speech, and mind, Krishna laid himself down in high yoga. A fierce hunter of the name of Jara then came there, desirous of a deer. The hunter, mistaking Krishna for a deer, pierced him at the heel with a shaft and quickly came to the spot for capturing his prey. Coming up, Jara beheld a man dressed in yellow robes, wrapped in yoga, and endued with many arms. Regarding himself an offender and filled with fear, he touched the feet of Krishna. The high-souled one comforted him and then ascended upwards, filling the entire welkin with splendor. Krishna died and ascended, but there is still no resurrection, as claims Zeitgeist. It's hard to imagine how this blue Indian man could be mistaken for Jesus, or a deer for that matter. The only similarity we have here is an ascension, which is not even mentioned in Zeitgeist. Even if you do want to take Zeitgeist's premise that the Ascension account might have been borrowed, then who borrowed from who? The earliest testimony for the complete text of the Mahabharata dates to the 1st century AD by the Greek sophist Dion Chrysostom. The available accounts of Dionysus' birth indicate that Dionysus was not born of a virgin. In the best-known myth, Dionysus was born through an affair between Zeus and a princess. In another version, Zeus mated with his daughter Persephone and she bore Dionysus. Dr. Edwin Yamauchi, professor of history at Miami University, confirms, There is no evidence of a virgin birth for Dionysus. As the story goes, Zeus, disguised as a human, fell in love with the princess Samel, the daughter of Cadmus, and she became pregnant. Also, not only is December 25th irrelevant to Jesus' birth, there is also no reference to Dionysus being born on December 25th in any scholarly literature. Even some of Zeitgeist's sources, Timothy Freak and Peter Gandy, note that Dionysus' birth was celebrated on January 6th by some in Alexandria which makes it of no relevance for copycat claims. Indeed, Dionysus was a traveling teacher. At any rate, 
This is a vague similarity that could be found in most ancient and modern literature concerning any figure with a message to share with others. But there are differences as well. Dionysus wandered the world accompanied with wild women, flush with wine, shoulders draped with a fawn skin, whereas Jesus traveled the limited area surrounding Jerusalem providing moral teachings. Though there are accounts of Dionysus filling empty vessels with wine, there is no reference to Dionysus turning water into wine, as Zeitgeist claimed. And it is not surprising that Dionysus performed miracles involving wine since he was the god of wine. One historical study explains, The ancient literature says that there was a spring with clear, sparkling, wine-colored water, very pleasant-tasting water in which the newly born Dionysus was bathed. Also, a spring in the temple flowed with wine. At Elis, the priests of Dionysus placed three large empty cauldrons in a sealed room to find them filled with wine when they returned the next day. However, from these references it is obvious that there are significant differences between the Dionysus legend and the story in John 2. The spring flowed with water, and the one at Andros flowed with wine not wine that had once been water, and the empty cauldrons in the Ellis Temple were filled with wine rather than water subsequently changed into wine, key elements in John's story. These differences have convinced most scholars that John or his tradition is not dependent on the Dionysus legend for this story. Research professor Dr. Donald A. Carson wrote, Older attempts to interpret this sign as a Christianized version of the Dionysus myth or of related stories have largely been abandoned in the light of evidence that the alleged parallels are wholly inadequate. Zeitgeist's source for these titles of Dionysus, Acharya S., only says he was considered the only begotten son, Alpha and Omega, etc., not that he actually was known by these titles. She has absolutely no source for the title King of Kings, which is a generic term in the first place, and secondly does not even suit Dionysus, since Zeus was the head god according to mythology. Nor does the title Only Begotten Son suit Dionysus, since Zeus had several offspring including Athena, Apollo, Artemis, Hermes, Persephone, Dionysus, Perseus, Heracles, Helen, Minos, and Musis. James Frazier, author of The Golden Bough, is cited in Zeitgeist for this claim of the resurrection. With such an array of options, it may be no surprise that at least one variation bears a superficial resemblance to what happened to Jesus. Still, this vague description does not match with the Jewish concept of resurrection. You're going to have to give me a, a, a date for the earliest inscription because Dionysus, I don't know anybody who thinks Dionysus is pre-Christian, not the resurrection portion. Okay, well, uh, all I can tell you is that the myth is that he uh, is torn apart by the Titans, uh, eaten, and he is uh, raised from the dead. Uh, I don't know the date of the, as I said, of the original, um, uh, as far as any writings we have. But I know that the, with, with the myths, the, the Greek myths, most of our Greek myths, uh, we do have from later collections, except we know they are from, they were told earlier because we have the vase paintings depicting them going way back in time. But the point, the question is, is there a resurrection? And since we don't have any resurrection predating the second century all the way to the fourth century, or the earliest ones, second to fourth, we can say, well, maybe there's a resurrection there, but there's no data. Even Tim Callahan, the skeptic you just saw defending Dionysus, admits there is no crucifixion. 
Even the skeptic Tim Callahan critiques the movie Zeitgeist, saying, Perhaps the worst aspect of part one of Peter Joseph's internet film Zeitgeist is that some of what it asserts is true. Unfortunately, this material is liberally and sloppily mixed with material that is only partially true and much that is plainly and simply bogus. The evidence for Jesus as a real historical personage, though meager, is solid. Mithra is the only one of these pagan gods mentioned that could have conceivably come in contact with Christianity. As the late Dr. Ronald Nash puts it, Mithra was supposedly born when he emerged from a rock. Unless this rock was a virgin, there is no virgin birth for Mithra. For the last time, December 25th is irrelevant to origins. The claim of Mithra having 12 disciples comes from Zeitgeist sources, Acharya S., Timothy Freak, and Peter Gandhi, yet there is no documentation for this claim in their books. Acharya S., Timothy Freak, and Peter Gandhi now acknowledge that they got this idea of 12 disciples from a scene where Mithra is framed by two vertical rows of six pictures of what seems to be human figures and Mithra in the middle. The reliefs come from the 2nd century AD. Even if these reliefs were dated prior to Christianity, the Iranian Mithras had a single companion and the Roman Mithra had two helpers which were tiny torch-bearing likenesses of Mithra himself. Mithra also had a number of animal companions, a snake, a dog, a lion, a scorpion, but not twelve of them. Mithra did perform a number of actions rather typical for any deity worldwide, true or false, and in both his Iranian and Roman incarnations. It must be remembered, however, that some general similarities would normally apply to any religious leader. However, these are not objects that require some theory of dependence. Besides, the mysteries were not practiced until the first century AD and Mithraism reached the height of its popularity around the 3rd and 4th centuries, when it was particularly popular among the soldiers of the Roman Empire. But that rules out the possibility of influence on Christianity. In his book, Image and Value in the Greco-Roman World, Richard Gordon writes that there is no death of Mithras, and thus there is no resurrection of Mithra, nor is there a three-day burial. Zeitgeist sources freaking Gandhi claim that the Mithraic initiates enacted a similar resurrection scene, but their only reference is post-Christian Tertullian's Prescription Against Heretics chapter 40, which is also quoted in the Zeitgeist addendum. In context, this in no way proves Zeitgeist's point, because Tertullian was explaining how Mithraic practices, which were introduced into Roman culture after Christianity, copied Christianity. Mithraic practices were not even in existence in the first century when Christianity began, but they were beginning to emerge in Tertullian's time and apparently copying Christian and Jewish beliefs. The complete passage reads, The devil, of course, to whom pertain these wiles which pervert the truth, and who by the mystic rites of his idols vies even with the essential portions of the sacraments of God, he too baptizes some, that is, his own believers and faithful followers, he promises the putting away of sins by a layer of his own. And, if my memory still serves me, Mithra there, in the kingdom of Satan, sets his mark on the foreheads of his soldiers, celebrates also the oblation of bread, and introduces an image of a resurrection. 
Therefore, in the very source cited by Zeitgeist and freaking Gandhi, Mithra celebrates and introduces an image of a resurrection, which can hardly be seen as a resurrection of Mithra or for Mithraic initiates. Additionally, Tertullian's writing is significantly after the New Testament times. Dr. Ronald Nash affirms, No claim can be made that Mithras was a dying and rising god. The tide of scholarly opinion has turned dramatically against attempts to make early Christianity dependent on the so-called dying and rising gods of Hellenistic paganism. Any unbiased examination of the evidence shows that such claims must be rejected. Sunday worship only appears in Roman Mithraism, and Acharya S. is apparently assuming that what held true for Roman Mithraism also held true for the Iranian Mithraism, but there is no evidence for this idea. It is therefore unlikely that borrowing occurred, but if there was borrowing, it was the other way around. Though the Bible teaches that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, and early Christians considered this the Lord's day, they not only worshipped him on this day of the week, but every other day as well, as we read in Acts chapter 2, 46 and 47. And the Jews, such as Jesus, worshipped on the Sabbath, or Saturday. In the early 4th century, it was Constantine of the Roman Catholic Church who paganized the meaning of Sunday. His Sunday Law of March 7, AD 321 read, On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in the cities rest, and let all workshops be closed. Mithraism could not have influenced the gospel writers because it was not even known to the Roman world at the time of early Christianity. Anyway, so that's all we have uh, time for on the Zeitgeist Refuted documentary, and I'll leave a link for that. Um, I know that the Zeitgeist Refuted is not a direct uh, relation to the William Cooper Mystery Babylon series, but to me what's interesting is that... Uh, what Mystery Babylon believes, or what the Mystery Schools believe, is exactly what Zeitgeist is teaching and presenting it as a false conspiracy or a conspiracy against Christianity, which in reality, it's probably more the other way around. The Mystery Schools are a perversion of Christianity and the Judeo, Jude, Judaism. All right. So thank you all, and have a wonderful day. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 16:18. Pride goeth before destruction. 